Dotnet Rocks, episode 1419, with guest Michelle LaRue Bustamante. Recorded Thursday, January 19th, 2017. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, we're still here in London at uh, the Excel Center, NDC London. It's fun. It's pretty much all the shows in February are yeah. going to be NDC London shows. Yep. That's not a bad thing. So get used to it. Yeah. You're going to hear a lot of noise in the background. A little bit. It's anyway. okay. Yeah. It's a, it's a conference. We try and record during when the sessions are in and it's quieter. Right. Right. I just did a lightning talk on the ketogenic diet for 15 minutes. That's cool. I felt like it was two minutes and eh, get off the stage. I felt I was just riffing. <laughs> That's you know? hilarious. Have you ever done a lightning talk? Yeah. You get 15 minutes and it's like. It's not, not a lot of enough, time. Not a lot of time. time it's not fast. a lot of time. Try doing a five minute one. Uh, who would do that? Nobody would do that. People do that. That would be Speaker Idol. <laughs> Remember Grok Talks? Yeah. Remember Speaker yeah, Idol. Speaker ah. Idol. Yeah, yeah. Grok there Talks. There you go. Billy Hollis. <laughs> Put your hand on the screen. <laughs> I am an addict, a code addict. Uh, all right. <laughs> oh, well, so anyway, uh, let's see. Better know framework. Love it. Yeah. Roll the music. Hey, you got man. Lonchaco. Lonchaco. Launch. Aco. Aco. It's like launch taco without the T. Uh, yeah, for a moment there, I was thinking thinking like lawn darts. Remember lawn darts? I, I don't know I'm why. I'm trying to forget. Why the, yeah. They were outlawed or something. Well, something about throwing them straight in the air and them sticking in your head when they yeah, come back it's down. Details. Not fun, you know? It's kind of amazing they ever made that product in the first place. This is a good idea. Just ruins a picnic, you know? <laughs> One lawn dart can ruin your whole day. Where's Uncle Bob? <laughs> He's laying down. He's tired. He's tired. He's crying red. All right. What's Lonchaco? Uh, Lonchaco is essentially a very easy way to create a bootstrap website oh. with click, 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 boom, download the source. Wow. Yeah. And it's got all sorts of strange things. Like they, there's two things you can, you know, do a search for, uh, a, you know, a business and, and get your name and your domains and all that stuff. And that's one thing. But then they have this thing called build your website. And you say, let's do it. And you just click and you pick a template. You just basically pick a bunch of templates and it right. starts creating this website. And you, you, uh, add, uh, you know, features to it and you add sections to it and you add a footer to it and hooray, everything looks good. And then you just click the download button and you get a zip file that's got all of the, Bootstrap and all the HTML and JavaScript, wow. and it looks very nice. And uh, it's cool. a good way to, good learning tool to figure out how everybody does these bootstrap looking sites and what's involved. I don't know if I'd use it in production, you know, right out of the box, but who knows? It's a starting point. It's a good starting point. That's interesting. It's a great, it's a great way if you're just trying to explore, hey, how do they do that? Yeah. You know? Yeah. There you go. Lonchaco. Awesome, dude. Dot com. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 1386, and that's the one we did back at Dev Intersection Europe on the Containers panel. 
Yeah. Um, which we got a bunch of comments on, uh, not so much comments on, but people were mentioning that that was the one where I, the recorder ran out because of my recorder and I didn't yeah. clear it properly like responsible people should do. Yeah, but it was still a good show. And it was a good show. We used it yeah, anyway. It was... And somebody was saying, oh, I've never heard you guys ever have a problem with that on a show. And it's, it's, a, <laughs> it's because we usually don't publish them. But that show was so good. Even though we had that last couple of minutes clipped off. We right. felt like it was still totally usable, so we just admitted what had happened and 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 put it out and there. And we didn't lose anything really important. No, no, anyway. it was all meat and potatoes, right? I was very happy with it. Uh, and of course, Michelle was on that show along with Dan Willen and 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 Rick Van Rossult and uh, Jim Seffen had this comment. He said, "I love these container episodes, and while it's great that there are folks out there leading the way in this area, I can't help feeling there's a lot of information missing on the web, not in terms of Docker syntax, but rather container strategy." For example, where is it best to put connection strings in application configuration? Should I put them on a volume share, pass them in as a variable when the container is run, or something else? There is obviously multiple ways to skin this cat, but good examples of container setups are few and far between. Michelle obviously has a few, but can't talk about them, which doesn't help us new in this area. I bet she can. We'll talk about it later. I'd love to hear a few examples of how containerization has worked well and solved problems. I get the theory, but examples would be really interesting keep up the good work yeah jim i'm all over this i'm i'm going after case studies we're looking at exactly that i'm just trying to make sure they're relevant to the audience so i really want a dotnet case study because there's plenty of non-dotnet case studies i want to talk about the particulars on that space so while we're still setting the stage in a lot of respects for containers and that conversation is continuing i am absolutely thinking the same way you are and we will make it happen Yep. And then Jim, .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media because we put every show on Google Plus and Facebook. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. We comment our code with him just to make the next developer freak out. <laughs> <laughs> no end to those. Yeah. All right, let's bring back Michelle LaRue Bustamante. She, of course, is the founder and CIO of Salliance. That's S-O-L-L-I-A-N-C-E, Salliance.net. Also founder of Snapboard.com. She's also a Microsoft Regional Director and Microsoft Azure MVP. Additionally, Michelle has been awarded Azure Elite and Azure Insider status as well as the ASP.NET Insider designation. Needless to say, she always gets a free upgrade. Nice. Michelle is a thought leader recognized in many fields, including software architecture and design, identity and access management, cloud computing technologies, security and compliance, and DevOps. During the past 20 years, Michelle has held senior executive positions at several corporations, assembled teams, implemented development process, and facilitated numerous successful large-scale enterprise application deployments. Michelle has also been active in the startup community with a keen understanding of the technical and business needs of startups. She shares experiences through presentations and keynotes all over the world and has been publishing regularly her entire career. Michelle wrote the best-selling book, Learning WCF by O'Reilly in 2007 and Developing Microsoft Azure Solutions from Microsoft Press in 2015. Welcome back, Michelle. Hello. Well, hi. We shall disclaim this show right now by saying... It's tradition on .NET Rocks that whenever Michelle Rubustamante is a guest at the end of the show, she tells a dirty joke. We will bleep it, but it will probably be not something that your children should hear. So go to bed, Junior. 
Nice. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, how, how about that intro? All that professionalism followed by smut. <laughs> <laughs> no, just a smut warning. It's yeah, just it, a smut warning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, Imminent. it just shows, you know, I can kind of get along with the masses. You can roll with it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Anyway. Yeah. You're not just a pretty I do brain. keep it clean on site with customers. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, of course. Yep. You we picking all up what I'm putting down? Okay. We, we all do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We, on a good day. So how are you guys? Good. Yeah. Good to see you. Ah, good to see you. Here we are in London. Again. Yeah. yeah we've done we this are, before. Wait, we are where are we again? How many places have we been lately? <laughs> we well, are the kind of friends who only see each other all over the world when we're at conferences. That's the only time we really get to hang out, but yet it's like... A little bit more than I that, go I to think. your home yeah. on a regular basis, but you yeah. still haven't made it to my place. I have. Well, I went to you, your birthday party. Austria, you did no, go to my big, wife's my, birthday party. And wife's you went to my birthday party. And I came to party. your birthday your party. Birthday party. Yes. And, but I, I think of the three of us, I go to your homes yeah. far more often than you come to my home. But the, Probably. But the yeah. truth You're is, in though... That's true. But the truth is, though, we see each other mostly on the road. At the road, yeah, routinely. Yeah. And sometimes more than I see some of my best friends around the corner. Yeah, that's true. Sadly, because so sad. work. Yes. This is our job. It right? is yeah. the thing we do. I'm so. not unhappy. And we no. do get a chance to. It's, it is nice. It is that- a fortunate and yet very hectic life. Yes. Agreed. Okay. So what are we going to talk about? I like your t-shirt. I'm really effing busy. Oh. That's a great t-shirt. Oh, I have a new really good one. Right. What? I have another t-shirt. It says, sorry I'm late. Didn't want to come. <laughs> <laughs> And that's in honor of my Mexican tendencies of being 30 minutes or so late to social events. Oh, I see. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. um, just thought I'd throw that out there. I found it on the internet and, well, I bought that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the last time we talked was in Amsterdam, right? Yep. Yeah. I think and, so. Uh, as the, the panel. Yeah. The panel, which uh, that uh, comment was about. Yes. And 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 I think he makes a very Jim makes a very valid point about this. We haven't really gotten into that sort of meat and potatoes of what is the architecture of a containerized app. What does it really look like? Although I, the corollary in my mind to that is why why would a, any business want containers? Like, what does it really do for them? Right. It, it kind of starts there, and then yeah. it kind of funnels off into how do I set up everything from my development process? Yeah. How I build things, how I test things. It's really interesting trying to take companies through that. It's it's really fulfilling too when they need it and you know they need it. So you're helping them. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's mm-hmm. that's huge. Mm. So Yeah, absolutely. So who yeah. who who's the person in the company that says, you know, we really need some containers around here. And what problem does it solve for them? It's it's gotta be so with large enterprises, you're usually dealing at the C executive level anyways. And typically... Is the CEO supposed to know what a container is? I would think this CEO, is more CEO, no. C-level like CIO, CTO. CIO. Yeah. But isn't that really a, an enterprise architect decision? Yes. But of course, it's going to need business backing, it's right? Be you need a stakeholder right. who's going to back it all the way through because it's going to cost money to get started. It's going to cost time and investment in resources planning and so on to execute in the beginning. And you don't really see the benefits of it until you've kind of reached the curve Mm -hmm. where you start to really, you know, kind of sail through, right? So that initial investment has to have an ROI at the end. And And is the problem our systems are too fragile, they're too hard to maintain, they're... uh, 
you know, we were afraid to to reboot them, that kind of stuff. I mean, are those all, all kinds symptoms? Of things, right. Some of it's also just as simple as, you know, you hear a lot about the whole um, uh, domain or business context that is supposed to wrap around the microservice artifact. And what what that's supposed to traverse is everybody from development through tests, through DevOps, but also in the business side. Because the idea is that you want people that are engaged in how the business really needs this thing to work and those people are part of driving how you implement the microservice so as a team a vertical team you then should be entitled and and enabled to make changes build things improve those business operations without impacting others and when you have these intertwined monolithic systems a change over here, you don't realize, well, wait a minute, but we call that DLL and share it in here and here and here and here, right. and you don't have isolation. You don't know what you're impacting. Right. How can you possibly regression test a system right. of, of any, you know, decent size? I right? need to, ch- I need to change something in configuration in one app that is going to affect the whole enterprise. I want to take, I want to reboot the server. No, you can't do that because all these other things are depending on right. it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, obviously there's lots of ways to solve that problem. You don't have to go to containers to solve right. that problem. But I think that companies that have uh, enough funds to invest in really improving their whole solution and it's a several year plan, then those are the ones, the large enterprises that are investing now because they want control. They want the business to be able to be more agile when they need features. Now, now what if I'm in the cloud and maybe it's it doesn't have to be Azure. Maybe I'm in Google Cloud or maybe I'm in Amazon and I have all these separate web applications and microservices and they're already isolated. I don't, you know, I'm not going to take Amazon down by rebooting my microservice. So that that problem was already solved with the cloud. What are some of the other uh, symptoms that you that you might see that would lead you toward the conclusion, oh, we need containers? Well, so... So what's solved in the cloud is the idea that you might be isolating with, you know, multiple VMs, Mm. but what about on a single VM, how an application is intertwined with shared code or um, dependencies on each other? And so the, the sort of concepts around dependencies between APIs and web apps that call them and how many web apps call those APIs. I change this mm-hmm. API, understanding the moving parts, right? Keeping track of that. Yep. Um, or knowing that the isolation lives even within the VM. So it just, it, okay. it always depends on the application, right? Sure. You can achieve a microservice-like isolation with websites and you could have APIs right. deployed in separate, you know, virtual directories. It's just that then how do you manage uh, density, Right. Now you've got, you know, single sort of URL port path that goes to this particular vertical website. So I'm going to have one on every node. So now I need 300 nodes or I need 3000 nodes and I'm not achieving density. So the promise of containers for companies that really have large scale solutions and possibly hundreds of little jobs that need to run around, for example, to do work. Yeah. They have the promise of server density. You can have many of those instances of APIs. And when you start to reach some need for additional throughput, you can add another one and another one and scale it on even a single box and fill that box nice and, you mm. know. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's part of it, I think. Yeah. I think of, uh, I'm, I'm using Azure a lot and I have, uh, you know, processes and functions and websites and stuff. And they're usually fairly granular, you know, that in terms of one service per web, per website, you know, one web API service, for right. example. Right. And, uh, I can scale that one up or down depending on, 
you know, what I what my needs are. Well, an infrastructure, you know, uh, as code mm. also gives you the ability to easily spin up and yeah. add and and scale out VMs and nodes. So it's not that you can't achieve similar isolation with other types of approaches right it's that the container uh ecosystem and orchestration scheduling you know tools the management tools that go along with that while they are not cheap to implement because you need a certain number of nodes just as a baseline right Mm. like a startup is out of like they're not going to do it they Mm -hmm. need eight machines to start you know we're out of here so but for somebody that knows they're going to fill those machines and that they need the scheduling and they want to take advantage of all of that, mm-hmm. um, what about the health monitoring, right? right. Uh, you know, and automating, replacing a container and running a new one or um, helping with the rollout of a new instance and version two is popping up and now we're going to drain the other containers. Like that's part of the you know, tooling around this ecosystem yeah, that, you're not that is some, built in, right? right? How do you drain a web API in IIS? Sure. How do you really know it drained? I mean, that you're not observing. You're at the mercy of the tools you in the cloud. You can't see it, right? It's happening. I mean, they will drain it, yeah, right? Yeah, sure. You get but it. But it's not get built it the- in. It's not a first-class concept yep. in that ecosystem. So I think you have to want the whole package, sure. and then you're going to benefit on the other side. And then, you know, as I was saying, you don't have to you're not at the mercy of whatever tools are available for that particular technology that you're using. You can build up your containers to have exactly what you want in them or you don't want in them. Well, that's the other side of it too, which is a bit of an added benefit. You can now have distributed teams. People work with teams all over. This team's better at Java. This team's better at Golang. You've got node people over here. You've got tools you want to use that maybe need to run as a service in a container. And now I can have this commingling of different application environments and I don't, have to necessarily focus it's the right tool for the right job it is. right perfect so that's another piece that that again you have to want all the pieces enough to say i'm ready for the initial pain right it's right. going to be expensive and time consuming to do anything of real sort of enterprise scale but you invest and then you benefit you know you're you're talking about potentially 6 months to a year to sort of get to a point where you deployed your first service and then, you know, you've automated that process and you've done the, you know, the load testing and the drills and, and you've got the monitoring in place and you've got so your you, visuals. You kind of have a confidence you've that set this up works. up front the stuff that we're still saying, oh, I should get to that. Right. In the IIS or, or web, you know, API yeah. deployment environment, right? Like you just sort of like push it up to Azure, PaaS or any other cloud environment and you say, yeah, it's going to work. Sure. And then, you know, you wait and see. But here, you have to do all the right things up front. You right. have to automate. You have to see so ICD. You this have is not to... just a technology acquisition. This is a real deep set it's of procedural commitment. changes. Yeah. Right? Like you, you were saying, we need the senior management in because we're really going to change the way this company handles software. Yes. Like it's this is as much a DevOps practice as it is a technology practice. It is. And, and that's a cultural change and a process change as yep. well as some new tooling. Brings the teams together too, yep. right? Because now you got the business and the DevOps IT pros and the devs in the middle. So, yeah. 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 It's really, really good. But when it works... But when it works, it rocks. Totally. And, and you know, again, there's layers of commitment. There are folks that will go live and let's say you push it into Azure or AWS and you take advantage of the tools that are built in mm. that maybe collect uh, logs and streams of logs and analytics and so on. And it won't be the full blown, okay, I made a commitment. Let's really evaluate how I want to build reports on what's going on in the system while messages fly through. So, you know, that's the next step. Um, and I think that folks that 
commit to the whole thing just have less risk, right? Yep. Mm. So companies where it's mission critical and going live and having something not work is not an option, which yep. is probably most large enterprises, mm -hmm. they have to do the whole thing. Yeah, I just don't like the big bang effect, right? That's kind of freaky to me. But you can, and we think we talked about this on the panel back in in, uh, uh, in the Netherlands, you can carve off a service, put it in this new model, the old app still calling to it, like do this gradual you can migration. completely do a migration plan. Yeah. And that is the real beauty of it. I see some folks where what we've done is we've put service layers in the middle. Mm -hmm. And the actual front-end apps and the back-end stores are still what they were. And in some cases, even monolithic and third-party APIs that, they're, that are acquiring certain types of data. And then in the middle, you've got this service tier that's going to start scaling things and caching things and returning search results or product queries or whatever you want to call it, stuff right. that, that's just really the heavy load and the meat and the heart of the system that needs to grow in features. Yeah. And then you've got other folks where it's more of a complete vertical, but some pieces at a time. Right. And, you know, you're saying, look, this one area is a real pain point. We need to build some new things. Let's build it this way and let's start our workflow towards moving the source of, you know, system of record from on-prem to cloud, but we'll for a while have both and, and then we'll, you know, retire it. And, and they, they need to do it that way because there's too many moving parts and they're on all the time. Yeah, absolutely. So, and it, it definitely challenging, but it's, and it's interesting to think through all of these strategies. I do want to address Jim's um, direct question in the comment, which was the connection strings app config. You know, what is your preferred strategy for handling that stuff these days? And I don't know that it's got to be specific to containers at all. It doesn't have to be specific because a lot of that comes with, um, really however you handle your full you know, deployment process, sure. right? Because there's a lot of tooling available for automating, uh, pushing up a new configuration file. Yep. And the problem is people don't do it, right? Mm -hmm. So like when I'm working in Azure and we have a PaaS deployment, there's a way to override web config files in the actual Azure portal, right? right? Which mm -hmm. you could automate pushing up. The, the nice thing about that is admins only see those results. So now I can be in dev and I can be in test and I can have different environments and I can update my web config and I can check it in, mm. but it's never going to have, you know, configuration strings against anything production worthy. Right. right? So yeah. you'll never see that in, yeah. in VSO. And then you've got other situations where, you know, there isn't Azure with this override. And so what do we do? We need to have a way so that we're updating the configs in a sort of bastion node or, or some, you know, isolated area right. that only an admin can get to. And that's the part that's hard because it requires some for thinking right, around right. getting what does that exactly. process look like right. and then there's tools maybe in each cloud environment but when you look at containers what we what we get which is interesting is the ability to take environment variables right. so now environment variables become interesting right mm -hmm. because that's a natural fit with docker for yep. example and i can have a compose file that has the environment variables for my local and i can run and test my you know docker containers locally and hit them and run my unit tests and have the, the unit tests actually, you know, the service is actually loading from environment. And then when I'm running in Visual Studio, let's say it's an ASP.NET Core, I can still pull from app settings and I can just flip the bit, you know, right. which am I using? 
And that, that works, right? Yeah, you can have sure. that, that rollback that looks for first, you know, app settings and then overrides with environment. Yep. So if environment's there, it's good. And then when I push that into my Docker orchestration engine or, you know, deploy it to the environment, say Mesosphere DCOS, which would be one example of many, right? Right. Um, then it will just pick up the environment, you know, variables that you've pushed up when you've deployed the service description. And those service descriptions get deployed with the DevOps process in, you know, production environment only, probably through some sort of lockdown bastion node. Sure. In which case you never see those in right. development. You we never recently know did them. a show with... It's a really um, nice way to handle it. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. we recently did a show with uh, Sumed. Uh, talk about Azure Key Vault as that is your bastion node, right? It's like you use this authentication strategy and it basically spits out secrets to you. So yeah. then it would point you to the, the, the Docker directories and, and all of those contents, those rules so that yeah. you could light an instant up and go from there. Yeah. That's, that's another good option, option yeah. as well. I mean, and then, yeah. Whether you roll your own or you use a third party one. Or you can use Vault. That's one of the HashiCorp products, right? right? That's another option. Vault, is it called? Yeah. Vault. Yeah. When we're talking about this rapid fire, you know, rebuild, deploy kind of mindset, you just got to have this automated. You know, you certainly can't bet it in the software. You don't want to pass it as parameters. You'll get it wrong. Yeah. Right? The problem is people just want to go live, right? Yeah. Like they just want to get <laughs> stuff done and push it out there. And, Woo! and it's such an act of patience to yeah. take a step back and say, okay, um, you know, like I've worked on POCs where we literally go from bottom, you know, from all the way from... How are we going to work in Visual Studio? Let's say it's ASP.NET Core. Yep. Um, and if it's not, then how are we going to work in, you know, Node with Sublime or something, right? But mm -hmm. bottom line is my development environment looks like this. I need to be able to run, test. I need my unit tests. And then, oh, what are we going to do to test it's working with Docker? Right. Well, so then let's run it as Docker locally, right? Let's get yep. developers involved so Local they know instances. how to run and test in Docker. Right. And so they need to you know, get that all set up mm -hmm. and where does my Docker file go and where does that get checked in? Mm -hmm. And then you go from that to, oh, so VSO, for example, has some really nice features for when you check in, having it automatically build the Docker image. Right. And then you can write, you know, some automation to push that image into the registry where the Docker images live. So once it's up there, you know, basically now I'm at a point where developers can just check in, check in, check in. And an image is going to get built if they didn't break the build, right? Right. And that image is going to have a tag, and it's always going to say, I'm the latest. And then you're going to have some tagging methodologies you need to think about. Because how am I going to promote that image, right? right? From dev to test, and then from test to staging, and then eventually to prod. And the only thing that changed all the way through that cycle of promotion is not the build, because mm -hmm. you already built it. You built it once. Yep. What changes in the environment variables. Right. And so that's the service description or the compose file, depending how you're running. Sure. You know, the YAML file. Well, so that description is different depending if you're pushing it to Amazon or, you know, DCOS or Kubernetes or any you know, of the, any of the whichever engine you're pushing to, to right? Yeah. Like but it's just a different way to that. do the same thing, which is I need to describe environment variables and one or more services that are dependent on each other as a single unit that can be deployed and updated. And I've done that for doing distributed testing. Where we, you know, we've had a, we've got a set of regression tests that run for hours. So to get them done in minutes, we just literally stood up a hundred copies of the site 
And so you programmatically generate those strings so yep. that they can make multiple instances. And just like it's magic when it works. Yeah. You just see all this stuff appear and light up. The workloads have been split out. Then they all run simultaneously. So you can see the right. huge spike in work across them all. And then as they each finish up and get their loads back, they all get killed. Right. And they come well, back. Well, and, with and it takes report. time, right? Like it does. for you to get through that. And, and sometimes I work with, um, maybe smaller teams that they, they haven't taken the time to do that, and right. it's literally chaos, right? And it's not anybody's fault. It doesn't mean anybody's not doing their job. They're just caught in the wheel. Sure. And they they feel like like nobody maybe at the top is saying, everybody, just stop. Yeah. Okay? Let's actually <laughs> Let's have a plan. Let's actually have a plan. Yeah. Like, you know, most of the time, even if you're not in a Docker environment, you'll try to set up, like, here are my dev or test or whatever servers. Like, we we have sort of some data we can work with. Probably it's masked, so it's not, you know, sharing real customer data, right? right. yeah. And that's another problem, right? How do I, you know, get that sort of real, I don't know, true semantic data and have the same uh, statistical layout of the data over into dev and, and test. You're not supposed to use customer data. Yes, <laughs> you know, so you're bad. supposed to mask that, do right? That. Yeah, yeah, let's just not do that. <laughs> um, but, you know, I guess the point is thinking ahead, like, how are we going to test? Yeah. How do I spin up the tests? Am I doing it in memory? Am I hitting a shared server? I mean, all of those mm-hmm. things have to be thought through. And it's no different with containers. Sure. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is. Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yep. It's time to announce my new country song. Someone stole my secrets from the vault. I'm a pop a cold one. Get in the truck and make that sucker pay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think you should write that for real. I I just did. Okay. (laughs) There's not much more to the lyrics than that. You're kind of done, right? There's a whole bunch of country song titles that you don't have to go any further, right? No. How can I miss you if you won't go away? Oh, that's a real song. Dan Hicks. (laughs) Dan Hicks and his hot licks. I like Uh, that. There's another one. The last word in Lonesome is me. (laughs) Oh. How about, I got tears in my ears from lying on my back crying over you. I got a couple more titles, and I'm really going to write these songs. This one has a subtitle, but the title is, I only date girls named Julie. So when I call out her name, I'm always right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. It's actually time to give away a complete Music to Code By collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Music to Code By is a set of 25-minute Pomodoro-sized, quiet, and groovy instrumentals scientifically designed to promote focus. They'll get you into a state of flow and keep you there. .NET Rocks fans are being more productive every day with Music to Code By, and now you can download the entire 13-track collection for only 39 bucks. See what all this fuss is about. Check it out at musictocodeby.net. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is Michael Clark Jr. Congratulations, Michael. Golf clap yeah. for you, sir. Golf clap for Michael. And Michael just won the Music to Code by Complete Collection just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you don't know what that is, go to .NET Rocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree, true story, to mm-hmm. one lucky member of the fan club. But you got to sign up to win. And okay, Michelle, it's your turn. I don't know if anything's changed since November, but what would you buy with five grand? Oh, hmm. I, today I would buy a massive 
server that really? can sit in my house so that I can actually do more virtualized deployments you want a pet? on premise. I want a pet. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Tired of uh, cattle, I want a pet. And yeah. you know, five grand, that's not that much to spend on a server. It's yeah, not you can be massive. Power- it's going to be. It could be as big as like a fridge. Okay. I'm they could buy a power supply with five grand. Yeah. yeah. Okay. The fridge size machines are a bit more than that. Okay. You can make a down payment on a machine. <laughs> oh, is that right? Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, no. whatever size fits $5,000, it'll be big enough and it'll be faster than the stuff I use today. It's not how big it is. It's what you do with it. Exactly. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> probably oh, we're going to wait for that part till the end of the show. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I'll hook you up with the server. You just let me know. New hardware. I mean, we don't get new that hardware. very often, you know, folks mm-hmm. wanting new machines, but... In fact, yeah. you're the only one. Is that right? I never, nobody's ever said they were going to buy a server. A lot of developers say they want to buy a new developer machine or a HoloLens yeah. or this and that. But, wow. I have uses for it. Sure. Yes. That's the thing. You can put it to work. Yeah. I can play with some virtualization around all the Docker ecosystem on-prem. Yeah. I got the idea from my buddy Zoiner, actually. He's got one. Does he really? <laughs> I'm jealous. Nice. Cool. I got two. I'm happy Ooh, to. I'm pro- jealous of you, too, then. <laughs> I'm happy to report I got rid of all my servers. Okay. I have no more pets. That's what the cloud's for. Why not just use the cloud? No, Five thousand dollars worth of, of sometimes Azure. you want to test networking and setup right. virtualized in house, right? right? Yeah. So I think that's a help to have that. that so I've, really I've, been, I've done well. I've had some people on our team doing that mm-hmm. lately, and we've had to use servers that you know aren't ours because right. we don't have one sitting. Mm. In, I don't have someone sitting in my office, so yep. you know you got to find a server. Yeah, and if you use one in the cloud, then you're tainted by sort of cloud networking strategies right. and so on, and that might not be real. Mm. Yeah. So it's kind of better to have some playroom. Yeah. Yeah, Let's I can't go. say I disagree with that. Yeah, yep. there you go. We were talking about why companies would want to use containers, and I think we pretty much nailed that down. And uh, the myriad of options that we have for configuration and why you would go, uh, why you would uh, set up your containers the way you do, and mm-hmm. just seems like you have ultimate flexibility. And when everything is smooth and working, you're sort of uh, you're sort of at the the bridge on the enterprise. You know, you you can just spin things up and spin them down and there's no there's no preciousness about a particular server they're you just get used uh, to the idea of chaos and large yeah. numbers of things spinning around and understanding and having faith that you're going to know when something's not working yeah. right. and that you've figured out how to have that automatically you know spin up new healthy things in its place and how to alert yourself when those things aren't happening on demand as they should one of the biggest fears that CEOs would have, or even CTOs or CIOs, about implementing uh, about implementing containers, uh, lack of visibility and lack of control. Like they 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 don't. It's new, right? Yeah. And so people that are you know thinking to the future and understand that this is a useful tech, um, they're willing to invest the time. But the smart ones are doing you know POCs that are somewhat real right and taking it all the way through to the load test and drilling process and taking it all the way through to the visibility and you know dashboards and so on what gets confusing in in my opinion um and and this isn't sort of a a comment about any particular products more one in general that people should think about and that is sometimes people want 
a container solution that's magical. Right. Yeah. And, and they want well, it's sort all... of something that wraps up for you, this visibility into things that go on. But the reality is it's your system. Yeah. It's your data. You know what data matters. You know what information you need. And aside from the basics around are the containers healthy, are they running, um, anything else that gives your business insights is all on you. And yep. so you're not going to buy a product that charges you extra money that says, I'm going to make containers easy for you and have that be a win. It just isn't so. You you have to invest. Is it not possible? Like it, there's not a... I just think that you're paying extra money for layers and then you're going to potentially face lack of control. So if right. you have a sophisticated need, then lack of control is bad. Right. And it's better for you to invest in the raw capabilities with a platform that gives you at least reasonable tools okay. and then add on. So an example would be, you know, and again, I think Kubernetes is a great orchestration engine. I don't know it as well as I know DCOS. Yeah. Right. Um, I think Swarm is more like kind of rudimentary still. And Docker is kind of going after Docker data center universal control plane mm -hmm. as their play in that space. But right. it's still new. It's immature. Um, but DCOS is very mature. And so as a thing you can deploy in the cloud or on-prem, that gives you a nice story. So that's been the thing that on a few you cases... You should be able to deploy Kubernetes just open source project. You should be able to deploy it on-prem as well. That's what I'm saying. You can yeah. do both Kubernetes or DCOS. I think those are both great options for on-prem and cloud um, right. for hybrid environments. But mm -hmm. when you're all in on a particular cloud... Mm. You know, you probably go to Google if you're Google and you use Kubernetes, but their flavor, which is really right. the Google container engine. And then yeah. you've got over here Amazon, which has its own flavor of things, right? Right. Yep. So, so where I was going with that is really just the idea that each of those is going to have a selection of ways that, you know, containers are healthy and running. You're mm -hmm. going to be watching, um, you know, sort of, uh, trends, if you will, on containers stopping and starting. And how do these things solve the problem of, you know, when containers start and stop and they all have their unique IP addresses and DNS changes have to happen? And how do I know to connect my dashboards to these things? Like, did, is it a reverse connection kind of thing? Like, what? How do these things so work? So usually they have internal, like DCOS has DNS baked into the platform. Right. Um, and so does Kubernetes. And in Amazon, you would have to use the uh, Amazon load balancer for like sort of that idea of discovery and yep. load balancing yeah. of containers. And, and the idea of having multiple containers that dynamically get their own IP mm. um, mm -hmm. and their own port, for example. Mm. Sorry, more, more specifically, right? The port on right. the VM. And have that stitch up to the load balancer so it can be found, right? Right. And when so these things do their reporting, do they report back to some sort of uh, hub that then distills that information and is yeah, available? Yeah, all of in the information about the running containers and yeah. where they're listening, what port they're listening on, and also the out, you know, the the external connection, if you will, yeah. through the load balancer. And in the case of DCOS, there's Marathon Load Balancer, for example. Right. So What's that? Marathon Load Balancer. Yeah. It's baked into the platform right oh, it's, so now it's the i can name have of the load balancer. right so okay. so i can have this concept of you know 
multiple, say, five agent machines, the mm. nodes, mm -hmm. and have two of them be public with a public load balancer and have public services sitting on that sure. tier. And I can have a bunch of private nodes that run other things. And they don't have to all be containers, by the way. You can run processes, too. Sure. So you could just be running Kafka as process closer to the metal. Mm -hmm. So there's no requirement that everything has to be container-driven, right? Yeah. Um, but it has its own load balancing and DNS solution internally that will automatically, you know, know where are all the containers, yeah. A, B, and C, where are the instances, how right. many are healthy, how many am I supposed to keep healthy, oh, I need two, and I only have one right now, we need to try and spin up another, and then you see flapping happen when there's bad configuration, something really wrong has happened, a container will try to spin up here, and then it doesn't work, and it goes here, and it, you know, continues in that, usually that happens when you're trying to roll updates, right. and you'll know, because you didn't get the update yet, your original containers, if all is working as it should, are still running healthy, mm -hmm, sure. and the new one, version two, is struggling. Is still struggling, yeah. and so it never gets launched, and you have to figure out why. Right. You know, things like just get messed up on on the node. Let's say something that you, you know have to go investigate. Me of enterprise service buses. Yeah, I was, I was just thinking. You know, the, this whole idea that you have this app, this massive set of apps that all have to talk to each other in various forms, written in different languages, and they have a set of messaging protocols and discovery protocols for finding instances of the various services they right. need. This was the it, old enterprise server process. It's good of, to know. It's the all, SOA era, right? Right. It's good yeah. to know it's all baked in, too, because otherwise you'd be setting off on a course to write all that plumbing well, yourself. Also, you know? I mean, an ESB also does focus a little more on messages, though, yes. right? And this is more about real clients intentionally calling an API. Right. You can put a bus in the middle. You could. Of that DNS. But it, it, or have a, a messaging, you know, a message broker like a Kafka or or something like that. You could. I mean, I mean, but I'm I'm just thinking through the, you know, the way that a new version lights up. Right. Has that service bus like yeah. effect of, yeah. I'm going to need one of these. Here's, here's, right. here's your, your recipe. Okay. Right. Light it up, you know, stand it, load it, fire it to the load balancer, like that well, whole process. Well, it's also process. got the scheduling too, right? Yeah, Which is It's a provisioning mechanism. It's completely about that. Yeah. Exactly. It is. It's provisioning and scheduling and scheduling based on available resources. Mm -hmm. You can say these containers need to co-locate with these containers. Right. You can say these containers need to be on public or private nodes you yep. can say these containers need x ram so don't put it on a machine that doesn't have that available yeah. and then it'll yeah. start to just flay them out into what is available in resources now it introduces new challenges which sure. is how do i know how to estimate how much resources an individual container needs to run yeah because i mean what you're describing you have to do your drills yeah. therefore i am now forced once again to upfront understand how to load test my app before I go live day one if I want to be successful. Sure, component mm -hmm. by component, right? And you, I love that. I sure. think I think it's good that we're forced to do that. Nice. Yeah, that you have to be disciplined. You're, you're but it's only going to work for companies that get behind it, which is why you need your stakeholders. Right. And they will be so happy after that six to eight months first pass because you got it because in order you to got get everything at your fingertips and you know exactly where yeah. stuff is and what's going on because you can't you get to light up until you do it all yep right and this exactly. is what you've been saying all along it's yep. like you're gonna have to do all of these things before anything works right it's not this slip in a little bit although again you have to you could do everything like that but just for one service of a larger system 
Right. And now you'll understand that one service better than anything You can else. literally do that. You can go live with one or two services right. and just master that. Yeah. And then when you're feeling really good and comfortable and people have mastered the tools, then you go live with other stuff. And you'll ramp up. You'll go from two to ten. And then from ten to like now hundreds becomes right. nothing. Yeah. I got a feeling I'm not the first person to say that either. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you, you can read about other case studies. And sure. That's what they say. I got a feeling that once you master... You know, loading containers and, and getting them all up to speed and controlling them. That, you know, becomes more about, you know, what you're putting in them and how that affects the whole ecosystem. That is, becomes your main focus. Right. You know, because because a lot you of no ti- longer have to add new management skills. You've got them baked. Right. And now it's just about, okay, what are, what are we putting into this container? How do we test it before we go live? How do, right. we, how do we do all that kind of stuff? How do I figure out what these services need? You know? Right. Because there's an infinite amount of things that you can load into a service or a container. And it's really individual drills at that point. Sure. Understanding this service, because once you've got the ecosystem hosting multiple containers and the styles, right? So if I have some that are scheduled and some that run off of a topic or a message and Mm. others that are just waiting for, you know, callers, Mm. um, and then each of them has their own resource requirements and functional requirements. But once you've mastered understanding that the ecosystem or the orchestration engine will manage that and handle the scale right. and that you know you're going to be notified when you need to scale further or that that's automated as well. Yeah, Once you've you mastered have visibility that, it's now edges. down to the individual services and their availability because you now have mastered how do I deploy it? How do I update it? How do I replace it? How do I roll forward when I make a mistake? Yep. And all of that. So it's really cool, but you it's an investment, but it's just when you see the end result, it's super cool. Is there such a thing as a throttle? You know, we, we want to put a cap on how many containers can get spun up um, with, a, with you know, programmatically just in case yeah, it goes out of control. Yeah, it's not even programmatic. It's part of the orchestration, okay. you know, management, right? Mm-hmm. Like the scheduling process, you can say, I need this to have a minimum of three. And, and I will, maximum it can scale to 10, right. you know? Yeah. So if you're going um, higher than that, you should be talking to me about it. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Right. And then you have to build in your alerts and things like that. And again, every deployment environment, whether it be Azure, Amazon, Google, or whether it be platforms like DCOS, Swarm, you know, uh, Kubernetes, they each have their style of how you'll do that. But if you think about the concepts, they're constant. Right. Yeah. And I imagine security is a big a way to save money, too, because if you think about it, and I never thought of security saving money before, but... You know, how do you know that, oh, we have a sudden increase in demand for our services? Well, what if we're having a denial of service attack? Right. Right. You know? Oh, we think those are customers that are each putting in lots of money and giving us a lot of transactions. But no, I see our revenue has stayed the same, yet our demand has gone way up. What's going on Well, I mean, I think in general, you just have more visibility in front of the service. Yeah. In front of the whole solution, right? Yeah, and yeah. so because you've done that, you kind of get the idea of all kinds of visibility, right? Yeah, yeah. and all kinds of rules. Like right. only scale up if the if the revenue is going up. Right. Mm. You could possibly do something like that. That'd be more of a like a business combined yeah. workflow. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fun space. It's it a fun is. Space. It's really interesting. When it's, you're being able to think about your systems at that macro scale. Rather than just uh, thinking about them uh, down low level, one piece at a time. Yeah, I think the hardest part for customers, or one of the hard parts, is understanding once they've decided to do this, yep. how do I choose a platform? 
And I and think how many people are doing this on prem versus? I mean, it seems like it's a natural cloud for it. You're going to GCP or you you know you're depends. going to AWS. It depends because think about different types of organizations where you deploy into say hospitals or something. Right. You know, you're on their iron. You've got to be on their iron. You have to be yeah. virtualized and on their iron. So if that iron can support container deployment, or if you can help them get up to speed with that right. or or be part of that transition then you deploying new updates and things becomes a nice experience so i think it will head to where people that have those type of destination deployments right. that are not owned and not in the cloud mm. they will start to benefit from maybe just having those environments be from the ground up container ready top to bottom yep. and and it's just part of how you're managing your servers now right like i could see that be where it's going it's and the I, same thing that happened with virtualization i mean right eventually everything was virtualized because it was just so much easier right so the next thing would be you know that it's a standard that when you have a cluster a yep. server cluster that will take virtualized you know machines that you have it ready for that containerization for sure well. Or it's just part of what you do. Yeah. And that would be ideal because, again, it will enable the whole ecosystem to just push out updates and features and applications in a much easier, manageable way for the destination Absolutely. who has to manage it. And it just becomes part of the status quo, right? What people do. Yep. It's what you do. I think I remember the last question from that panel that uh, I asked everybody. Mm -hmm. And I'll ask you. Um, what, what do you think is the, the most difficult gotcha to overcome when you're you decided okay you've been tasked with uh going to containers and you're learning everything new what, what's what are some of the difficulties that people will face when or maybe the hardest thing when they've decided to? yeah yeah you know was a, a beginner you know somebody who's new to containers for the developer it's actually pretty easy in the sense that you know I build my app the way I would. I have to know that it's can be containerized, so mm. there's maybe some learning there, but that in itself is not that complicated. Yeah, that's right. troubleshooting. And actually running them as a container is not that complicated, right? Yeah. So that one-off experience is actually pretty easy, which is why some small startups, that's actually just how they deploy stuff yeah. now. Okay. They build an image and they ship that thing up, and when they want to replace it or they need to restart it, it's stop-start, boom, two seconds or less. Mm -hmm. Milliseconds, really, right? There's an anything unintuitive or counterintuitive? No, I, I mean, I think all of that's pretty basic. It's, um, it's more about when you get into deploying to an orchestrated architecture, yeah. which is enterprise. Yeah. Now we've got things we need to understand. And, yeah. and they're maps, very you know. important things. And it's everything from, you know, what is a scheduler? What is orchestration? How should I automate into that? Um, there's easy things like how should I tag images and promote, but mm. you still have to think about it. Right. Um, there's how do I get the logs, you know, to a central place? Which yeah. log tool will I use? You right. know, am I going to use the Elasticsearch? Am I going to visualize that with Kibana? Am I going to visualize that with Grafana? Am I going to ship that over in Azure to OMS? Mm -hmm. You know, which tool do I like the best? What's going to give me the best results? And, yeah. you know, there, there's the... I think the the difficulty is navigating choices, right? Because 
Are the choices. Are there too many choices for a lot of people? Well, so if you look at the ecosystem, there's immense number of choices. If you focus on the main platforms that have Mindshare right now, then the choices get a little bit more into a funnel. But you still have choices. You still have to decide in Amazon, what's the best style? In sure. Azure, what's the best style? Um, you know, what do I get out of the box with Kubernetes versus DCOS in a visualization manner for health and monitoring or alerts? And what do I need to add on? Yeah. So it's navigating yeah. that that's hard. And yeah. doing it is patience more than it is hard. I mean, yeah. I'm not going to say it's not difficult, but it, it's, it's not... It's not any more difficult than anything else we Not do. any more difficult yeah. than anything else you would do. It's yeah. just understanding these new things, sure. right? Navigating the waters. All right. I think it's joke time. So put the kids to bed. <laughs> you got a joke for Ooh, us, Michelle? I have a joke for you. Uh-oh. I have a good one. And I, I, I have a little short one for after, if you like. Depends right. if you have time. The okay. after joke? A quickie? The after joke. A quickie. There's a joke and then the after joke. <laughs> so, yeah. It's a, there's, there's, of course, a guy in a bar okay. and some walking. All so right. <laughs> this guy, this guy. <laughs> These two guys walk into a bar. The second did guy I, should have seen it coming. Did I tell that right? There was yeah. a guy and there was a bar and there's a bunch of walking going yeah, on. No, good. this man walks up to a bar. Yeah. You know, and he has an ostrich behind him. Okay. <laughs> Cause that happens. Uh-huh. Um, and as he sits, the bartender asks him for his order and the man says, I'll have a beer mm-hmm. and uh, turns to the ostrich. What's yours? And I'll have a beer too, says the ostrich. Okay. So the bartender pours the beer and says, that'll be three forty, please. And the man reaches into his pocket, pulls out the exact change for payment. They drink and they leave. Next day, comes in again. All the beer, ostrich, me too. That'll be three forty. It reaches into his pocket. Exactly three forty comes out, pays the bill. Okay. And then this goes on for days. And then finally one day towards the later part of the night, the guy walks in and he says, well, you have? And he says, well, it's a little later at night today. I'm going to have a scotch. Okay. And the ostrich says, yeah, I'll have a scotch, too. And he says, okay, that's going to be 1070. And he reaches into his pocket, pulls out exactly 1070 and pays him. Okay. And the guy just, the bartender just can't contain himself anymore. So he basically says, like, uh, you know, every time you come in, every time you reach into your pocket, you pull out exactly the right change <laughs> to pay the bill. And I just don't get it. What's going on there? He says, oh, i got to tell you this story. So, you know, a year ago, I fell upon this lantern and I rubbed it and the genie came out. The genie granted me two wishes. So I basically said for my first wish that if I ever need to pay for anything, I just want to put my hand in my pocket and the right amount of money will just be there. And the bartender's like, that's f***ing brilliant. Like, most people would wish for a million dollars. You basically have enough money for everything forever. And right. he goes, that's right. Anything from a Rolls Royce, a Maserati, or a beer. I just say... That'll be how much, and I get the money. It's perfect. And he says, wow. He's like, that's fantastic. You are a genius. Yeah. So, oh, one other thing. What's up with the ostrich? And the man replies, oh, my second wish was for a chick with long legs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah, that happens. Um, Oh, my. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I have, an, I have a worse one, if you can okay. tolerate it. Sure. Um, so this blonde goes into a bar. Okay. And uh, the bartender asks her what she'd like. And she replies, bring me a beer. So the bartender says, Anheuser-Busch? And she replies, fine, thanks. How's your c-? <laughs> <laughs> 
That's horrible. That's just, you have to I got that. a blonde joke. You want to hear a blonde yeah, joke? I want to hear a blonde joke. So a blonde walks into a library and she walks up to the information desk and the inf- lady says, can I help you? And she says, yes. I'd like a double bacon cheeseburger, a large fry, and a large Diet Coke. And the lady leans in and she says, ma'am, this is a library. And the blonde says, oh, I'm sorry. I like a large bacon double cheeseburger, a large fry, and a large Diet Coke. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> I got a smart blonde joke if you want it. Oh, but boy. All it's sorts kind of, of jokes. a longer one. Or we can save that for next time. Yeah, maybe we'll save that for next time. Okay, then. You've got to get out of here. Yeah. Michelle, thanks. It's always great talking to you. Awesome talking to you. You bet. Love right. you guys. You too. Cheers. All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.